Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, we are very, very excited to welcome a new guest to the pod, somebody who we have never had on before. He is one half of Evolving Wild slash Evolving Hockey slash Evolving Sabres, I believe that was uh, getting put out there. But we're very excited to welcome Josh Youngren to the podcast for the first time. Josh, how are you today? And welcome to Straight Up Sabres. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be on, a, you know, our, our recent uh, adoption since we uh, we started the year as our, our second team was the Devils because we were kind of high in them. We every year we have like it seems like our models going into the season always have like one team that's maybe a little bit higher than some of the other models. And I think this year was the Devils. We were like, I don't know, maybe like four or five points higher. Now, that's just me immediately admitting an, an L uh, up front on the Devils <laughs> this year. But uh, they were kind of fun to watch, but um, then I think two years ago was Montreal, which is kind of a silly team that then ended up going, you know, pretty far. Um, but then I think towards the end of the year, we've just uh, we've been I think the Sabres have always been a weird team for in like kind of more of the stats and analytics side of things for a long time. Maybe not as much for the good as more for like just the unique bad that they've been uh, and kind of having players. So um, now seeing them kind of, you know, do some things, even though they're still a little bit away, it's been kind of fun to, uh, I wouldn't say n- maybe adopt them, but just to kind of like, kind of join, I guess, join the ride that is the current Sabres team. <laughs> well, let's hope uh, there'll be an adoption taking place this summer, looking ahead to next year. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, let's, let's just get right into it. So we want to obviously get your thoughts on just the general team overview, how things are looking right now, how things are looking, moving into the future, um, get to know a little bit more about you and your brother Luke's work with Evolving Wild. But before we get into that, we want to talk about the big news of the day, which was the Sabres straight up ass kicking of the Toronto <laughs> Maple Leafs last night in a five to two victory. Owen Power making his NHL debut. And I got to say, just from, from watching him very closely, as I know we all were, he looked poised beyond his years last night. We all saw the big highlight that came out of the first period, which was that stop on Mark Giordano on the two-on-one. On top of that, I mean, when you're looking at a defenseman making in their NHL debut, and just in general in the early goings of their NHL career, you're not expecting them to be a difference maker right off the bat. Historically speaking, it is very rare that somebody taken that high or just in general that a defense a young defenseman you know of own power stature would be able to make that much of an impact but I you know with that being said I think going into the game the things that we had talked about a little bit in our last episode and that we were really looking for was not necessarily for him to be a difference maker but his poise 
his just general calmness, how he is when he has the puck on his stick. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, in all of his scouting reports, we've been, we've been told how great he is in all three zones of the ice. And I felt like throughout the entirety of last night, he was making plays in his own zone, in the neutral zone, and in the offensive zone as well. We got to see some of that elite vision that he has on full display and his passing ability was unbelievable where it's just, he just, his hockey sense is just so off the charts that he just makes the natural move there. And on top of that, and him having an impressive debut, I think it also in a way kind of elevated Rasmus Dahlin's game as well, because he had an excellent game last night on top of that. So Josh, before we get to you, Taylor, I want to throw it to you first. General takeaways from last night and your thoughts on Owen Powers' debut and just, you know, beating some Maple Leaf ass. <laughs> so for as, as far as power goes, I thought it was impressive because he didn't really look like a guy playing his first game, especially a guy playing his first game against what will be a 100-plus point team. He, because I thought, like, to your point, he made a lot of plays that were just, like, the smart play, nothing, like, too spectacular, and he didn't have any mistakes that made him look like a guy playing his first game. Whereas a lot of guys, I think early on that are talented, but maybe not ready for that level or are still adjusting. Dalene's a good example. Like his, his rookie here was a lot of like, Oh, wow. Look at that. I can't believe he did that. And also a lot of, Oh, wow. Look at that. I can't believe he did that. Yeah. And unfortunately (laughs) under Ralph Kruger, his second and third years were a lot of the latter, but like power came in and he didn't really look out of place. Like he didn't look like if you would have just been like, Oh, that was, Colin Miller I would have just been like oh Colin Miller had a pretty good game today it's not a 29 year old that's played as many years as he had uh, so that's really good to see just how quick he was playing you know college games last week against probably three quarters of those guys he played against aren't going to be in the NHL very much at all so that's I think it's really impressive to come in and just look like you belong right away. And, and so Josh, just to turn it over to you, you had said that you had tuned into a little bit of the game because you wanted to, to get a look at power. I mean, did you have any takeaways? Did anything jump out at you for the parts of the game you were watching? I, I yeah. So I, I, you guys kind of covered it a little bit. I think the one thing was just like the calmness and like, kind of, it seemed like how easily the transition, like it didn't look like he was out of place. I actually at first was like having trouble um, like it, Sometimes with rookies, they'll focus on like their, you know, start. But I think the, I, I don't remember if I had the Leafs or the Sabres broadcast on, but it was like, it was a little bit at first it was like, it, everything looked very natural for him in his first game, which I think is, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to really say much. I think just kind of our nature, well, number one, that we're not really, we've said this before, but not much of prospects people. And I think a lot of our work is based in like, obviously the NHL, but I always, we kind of joke that I need like three years before I can really say anything about a player. <laughs> that's not obvious. That's not entirely true i i did um yeah obviously the kind of the highlight breakup of the two-on-one was definitely still like kind of a highlight i think but also just um the other thing is it's funny that i didn't i just didn't realize that he was so tall uh, <laughs> which is kind of Big funny boy. which is yeah which is like it it's not like i, I think that you know with him next to tage obviously it doesn't really like it's like you maybe wouldn't notice it as much necessarily but i think the takeaways i had were more than it just like seemed like kind of a, a certain calmness and ease of, of the play that was definitely um i think it's it's, it's hard to, and obviously I'm not a scout by any means. And so it's, it's, it's hard for me, like in a couple games to really like say, or even just one game or a period to say anything like, 
with any certainty. So I guess I'm just kind of playing the uncertainty card here and just saying, I don't really have any good opinions. No, but I did, no, of course. It, it, I, the one thing that did stand out was just kind of the calmness and like kind of the ease. Uh, and like what you had mentioned, I'd heard this a little bit too, is that, you know, it, it's, if, if he can turn into kind of that more, um, I kind of on all three zones, like the, the be able to, to handle defensive like play as well. I think that's something that would go a really long way for the Sabres um, just going forward uh, as who have historically, or at least in the last like five, to 10 years like really struggled defensively um i think that's definitely something that seems very promising for the sabers going forward so let's get into a little bit more of, of yours and your brother's background just to introduce anybody briefly who may not be unfamiliar again as i had said check them out on twitter at evolving hockey and evolving wild um tell us a little bit just about your guys' background your models and just in general kind of how you guys were able to amass the following that you have right now yeah, I'll try to do the short version, I guess, because I could, I think it's backstories are kind of are, are pretty interesting. But yeah, we were, um, my brother and I, so for anyone who doesn't know, we have a, a Twitter account that we first started um, about coming up on six years, it's been, which seems kind of wild, but it was, uh, well, I mean, it was, it was a wild account initially. And then we um, ended up working more on like toward total NHL, I guess, kind of models and, and stuff. But um, I full background, I actually, it's kind of interesting. I wasn't, even though we're from Minnesota, I live in Minneapolis. Grew up in, you know, in the high school system here. Um, I just really, we were baseball players and baseball fans. That was kind of where my background was. Um, I was like, our dad played hockey, but I didn't really go to, I didn't play hockey growing up. I, I, I only really learned to skate when I was in my twenties after I've been. And so it was kind of funny that I, my, our background is really more in baseball. We both played baseball until we went to college. And then in college, we were, believe it or not, music majors. So we went to a conservatory. Cool. Yeah. So like, that was kind of my background, which is odd that now I'm like, you know, do like a website that's like statistical in nature and like about hockey, which <laughs> most of my actual friends from college, I just, we just met up with one of them like this last weekend. And she just was like, wait, what are you doing now? <laughs> like, I <hadn't> <laughs> years, And it's like funny, like kind of explaining like how we got into this, but I always, because of that baseball background, um, we were early on, like kind of uh, aware of, and I was very interested in kind of the sabermetrics movement in baseball that then became kind of what's, you know, referred to as the Moneyball era. And so like things like war and WRC plus, and, um, you know, all of these additional, like these kind of baseball metrics that were used as evaluation tools. And so I didn't actually really start watching hockey until I got out of college. It was like, 20 I think it was like I, I was kind of aware it was the season that I can I can never remember if it was the season I first kind of got into him I think was like the season that it was like maybe yo's first year it was like 2011 or something or 2012 and then um so but, like right around when like Suter and Parise would have yeah been. it was the year before they signed uh Suter and Parise so I think it was the 2011-2012 season which is kind oh. of wild to, to say that I haven't really been watching hockey for that long but what what it did was we 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 were basically got out of college and I had like six months at home. It was the winter. I didn't have anything to do, and our dad would watch the Wild. So we just basically started watching the Wild with our dad. Kind of learned everything through that. Just the first six months at home with nothing to do in the winter in Minnesota. But because of our baseball background, I was well aware of like kind of the more advanced metrics in baseball. And so right from starting watching hockey, we were immediately like kind of looking for that that kind of similar of those evaluation tools in in hockey. So. Um, from there, it was really just I became kind of a diehard wild fan. But at the same time, we were really into like at the time, I mean, there's a hit I could go on about the history of kind of the hockey stats sites that have 
come up, come and gone over the years. And for years, it was it was more, and it hasn't really happened this much, but it was a lot of a lot of the people who would make websites as almost like a resume to an extent. But it was more of like, here's what we can do, here's what I can you know do. And so like some of the early like Extra Skater, War on Ice was a huge one that I, I that was one of our b- biggest ones. And then like a little later was you know came along like Corsica, but even early like HockeyAnalysis.com, I think it was David Johnson's website. Yeah. Um, all of that stuff we were like super into. And then um, Dawson Spriggins, who now is an analyst for, um, for the Colorado Avalanche, he was on Twitter as DTM about heart. And in the, I think it was 2016, he released his own version of wins above replacement, which is a baseball metric um, that if, if you're a baseball fan, you probably now they're starting to almost incorporate it in broadcast. But um, that was kind of what really led us to, we were like, well, this is really cool. We wanted to learn everything about that. And then we kind of just Luke and I both kind of with our hobbies, I don't have a lot of them, but the ones I do have, I get very obsessed with. And so it became kind of this obsession for us. And we just started working kind of nonstop on just doing our own stuff with the goal of trying to build our own war model, um, which in the process of building like everything to then make that kind of model, you end up with a lot of other data as well. And so with that, we started want to share some of that stuff and Google Sheets really wasn't cutting it after a bit. So we made a website and then that um, called evolvinghockey.com. And then we just kept adding stuff to that and just, you know, and that, that kind of just um, you know, it, it really kind of snowballed into just us working on adding new, new metrics and then got into projections. So now we have contract projections, which are a big kind of driver of, and people are interested in them. Like we do fantasy projections now. So um, I guess I said, I was going to give you the short version and ended up being like the long version. No, so I'm sorry, but that's kind of our general background. So yeah, we, um, I, it, the only side effect is that I, I used to be a hardcore wild fan, but when you end up working on this stuff all the time and it becomes your job, which it is now, um, I feel like my fandom for the wild is, is completely gone. I watch all the wild games, but I don't have that kind of diehard nature that I used to anymore. Um, and so now I say we love and hate every team equally. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so that's definitely interesting. So you were saying before we started recording that in this time of being, involved in like say the advanced stats community you've gotten to know a few guys who the Sabres hired within the past year uh, including Sam Ventura so has that given you some some more faith that the hires of Sabres have made these guys that that maybe the Sabres know what they're doing in this rebuild or maybe that they have a better chance of turning things around yeah I and and you know like we had mentioned we go back we we had actually I kind of missed in my you know long coverage of our history was that we actually got asked to and we started writing for the um, for the blog hockey graphs back in 2017 and um, at the time it was uh, yeah we we got and we would go to conferences and so we met a decent number of, of people involved in the community and three of those are now current employees of the Sabres in Sam Ventura, Dom Gallimini, and Matt Barlow who we go way back with and I think that those honestly those three hires even just hiring Sam but Sam and Dom and then the addition of, of Matt as well I think makes the Sabres, honestly, the Sabres analytics department is like one of, if like it's a, easily a top five department right now in the league, I wow. think. And I, I like, I mean, it's, wow. it's mostly, it's, it's hard to really say because there's not, you know, teams keep are a little cagey about it and there's not all the information and um, Shanna Goldman tracks employees and whatnot, but even then it's, it's hard to really know what people are doing. Obviously like the Maple Leafs, for instance, have a really large um, kind of group there. Uh, but also the Maple Leafs have a lot of, you know, decision makers in like front office as well. So you can't really know, but I, I just know Sam Ventura is like one of the 
Um, he, I mean, he and Andrew Thomas and Alex, uh, Alexander Mandricki, who now is with Seattle, they, they were the creators of War on Ice. Um, and I think it was like around 2012 or 2013. Um, and both, I, I honestly, all three of them are some of the most important people in hockey, kind of the development of, of hockey analytics and hockey statistics. So like just even just hiring Sam is just a huge he's just like one of the most knowledgeable people in the entire field. And then Dom was, I mean, he's like, before he was hired, he was easily like the number one target. I would say he's on it, like kind of gene, he's like genius level smart in terms of his, wow. his, his like work and like everything that he does. And, and Matt, I believe is doing more of like a data um, kind of data analyst, but it, I, I'm not entirely sure the info is still, you know, it's, it's a little bit hard to know exactly, but I just think the group they've collected. And obviously I should say that we're biased because we are friends with all of them. So I'm, I, I, I want to throw that out there, but no, 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 it's all right. like those three together is, is really rivals any of the other teams in terms of like just the, I guess, I don't know, brain power is, but it's, it's a really, really strong group in the organization now, which I think has been one of the reasons why we've, it's been fun to watch the team and see the, you know, see what they are doing and just kind of follow along as, as I think as an organization moves from, I don't want to be disparaging here, but from maybe some antiquated ideas that the Sabres used to have, yeah. or just have struggles with building a team to now have a very smart organization that is like clearly investing in things that are going to help in a long-term um, kind of look or outlook, I should say. Yeah, I mean, like, speaking of antiquated ideas, Tim Murray came in eight years ago, I want to say, maybe more than eight years ago now, and his his first press conference was about how much he cared about analytics. He didn't go to any detail about it, but it's pretty clear that his favorite analytics were height and weight. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, based on everything he did. And, and to your point, too, Josh, I mean, as you're saying about them hiring him, a couple of things came to mind. For one... I kind of appreciate more the fact that you have a personal relationship and are friends with them. I think that holds a little bit more weight just because it's another person in the community who, who feels this way. And on top of that too, I, I think it's just sitting here and hearing you say that it's almost surreal because when you think back to God, even as recent as what, two years ago now, the analytics department was nothing like there was not yeah. one they did not have anybody they basically in, didn't have a front office right they they really didn't they were their scouting staff was depleted i mean it was it was a mess full on yeah. and that goes to show with having you know the longest playoff drought now in nhl history <laughs> but that all kind of leads into my next question our next question i should say which is a, a bit of a broad one and so feel free to take it where you like but you know, when you're looking at this Sabres team, one of the things that Taylor and I were talking about is, and we've been talking about really for, for the in, entirety of the season is the difference between this rebuild and the rebuild that we had saw that had started probably we could say around like 2014 with the drafting of Sam Reinhardt second overall. Obviously then Eichel comes the next year. Things don't go according to plan. They put far too much weight on these two young players. And of course there's moves for Ryan O'Reilly and Evander Kane that come into play, but never really filled out the roster, uh, you know, to the degree that you would need to, to make this team a contender. Whereas now it feels like they're taking the, the complete opposite approach where they're filling out the roster first with solid depth guys who both have the ability to play in the top six, bottom six forward groups and flexibility on defense goaltending obviously remains to be seen too, but I'm just curious your thoughts you know, what are some of the the key differences that Sabres fans, I guess, should take some sort of solace in knowing that things are different this time around than they were, you know, eight years ago? Well, there's no Rasmus for Salinan anymore, not. <laughs> hey, all right. Good answer. I, I mean, I, I think the one thing is that they, they've collected a group of players, I think, that are, that are, there's a lot of 
young talent, I think, on the Sabres right now. And, and there's been some, I think one of the things, and especially when you like with the idea of like incorporating a new kind of approach and, and hiring out a group like they have in, in, in Buffalo, like it takes some time. So like, this is not something that's probably going to, like even next season, I think that there, we won't, like our models are probably gonna still be kind of low on the Sabres next year. And even if I don't, even if it'd be fun if they were higher, one of the big things I just kind of doing some prep work and like looking at the Sabres a little bit more in depth heading into this is that I, I just think like goaltending is still a really big issue for the Sabres. Um, I don't entirely know if like, if there's maybe, I mean, and obviously I'm not entirely um, like well-versed in a lot of like kind of the prospect aspects and specifically goalies. I know that, um, is it Lucanen? I think is potentially like somebody that um, maybe is like a future goalie and then like, uh, like, I'm just trying to think if there there was another. Yeah, so they have uh, Devin Levi who that was the other one, yeah. Award, and then Eric yeah. Portillo who was the starter for Michigan. However, both of yeah. them we recently found out are returning to college for another. Yeah, year. and so like I I just like one of the things that really stood out was like I looking at the Sabers over the last few years is like I didn't quite realize just how bad the goaltending has been. Obviously, like you know a lot of people just point to the Sabers as skaters is like one of the big issues, but like the goaltending has just been really really bad for the Sabers for like years now. Um, I mean, really the last time the Sabres really had anything resembling like great goaltending was like maybe in like, yeah, the mid, like the original rebuild team, you know, like back, like even if, when they were horrible, the goaltending was actually still like one of the better things on the team. Now it's kind of like, well, they really, um, so yeah, the goaltending, I think is the one thing that stood out to me is like, I'm not entirely sure like what they're going to do next year or in two years and like what, you know, obviously goaltending can be very, especially for younger goalies. You don't know when they're coming in the league. You don't know when they're ready or when they're ready to take on more, more time. But I think the other thing with the Sabres is just that they've been, um, I, I think it's kind of funny that the whole Jack Eichel saga is like, you would think, I mean, he was such a good player but it did seem like it just was not a fit. And now bringing in, I think Alex Tuck, who has been very good. I mean, I, as a wild fan, you know, he was a wild prospect and was, you know, played for the team for very few minutes. And I think it was 17, 18. And then he went to Vegas and, and he was really good for Vegas for a little bit. And I think that that addition, and then it doesn't, it also doesn't hurt that Tage Thompson has come out of absolutely nowhere this year. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's like, I just tweeted this out of cut like last week, but how he's now like a 30 goal scorer this year, um, which is just like, he was, I said this on our podcast, but like Tage Thompson was for consistently like one of the worst players in the league by our stuff for several oh, yeah. years. Oh, and yeah. out of nowhere, it seems like he's kind of just risen up to this like level of just kind of, kind of just being good at offense now, like really good this year. So the Sabres are an interesting team. I think like we had talked about own power. I think Rasmus Dahlin seems to be like kind of, he's starting to kind of find his game, even though he's already played a decent amount. Um, I think, what was it? Is it um, Samuelson also, I think mm -hmm. is, is like, a, I think a kind of an, a young player as well that looks kind of like he's starting to, you know, like a good. And I think the other thing that the Sabres seem to be doing um, is I, it, I think they're a little bit light, correct me if I'm wrong, on like the right side. Yeah, there, yeah. like yeah, the, like the 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 blue line. But um, I, as a Minnesota fan, one of the things that really is like I, I think the the it, it's very important for a team that I think sometimes gets overlooked is that your top four defensemen are really like a kind of a bedrock of the team, obviously. But I think if you can start to build out the defensive core, which it seems like the Sabers are starting to do, then a lot of things start to. Um, I, I think become easier for you to develop on the forward side. And so right now they have, I mean, uh, we were talking about Rasmus is fun, but he, you know, Asplund is, is like kind of looking like, I mean, he's going to probably I, like 
this year, I, I, I think only like Bergeron and like maybe Matthews are like higher. He's like kind of tied with Sorelli in terms of our overall defensive impact this year, wow. which I, for full disclosure, don't really, I haven't watched, I haven't focused on him. I don't really know if he's doing anything new or if he's maybe a system thing that's been putting him in a better spot. But those kind of pieces, I think specifically on the defensive side are things that um, from an analytical kind of evaluation are often overlooked, I think, in the general public among teams. But that's a really good way to build a team that's successful in the long run, because if you're able to um, specifically with the goaltending, like help your goalies, even if you're struggling on the defensive side, those kind of adding defensive pieces is often it's often one of the best ways to add value and be efficient in terms of your team building, because those are the things that are still undervalued in the league. And those do lead to good results for a team is when you can build out a solid team defensively. Oftentimes you can get those players for cheaper than you would for a player who maybe is really, really good offensively that isn't adding as much defensively. So I think the Sabres, I guess my, uh, to, to summarize, they are still, I think a couple of years away. I, I think they are, it's, you know, it's just been fun. The team seems to be vibing in a way that they haven't for years. And I just think they are playing and they're a really interesting team right now. Um, akin to a few other kind of up and coming teams. Like I, we, I mentioned like the devils, but those are, that's another team that has a lot of young talent that's kind of starting to build out. Um, and obviously they have some similar goaltending type issues as well, but some of those teams I think are, are interesting to watch just because of the young town and watching those young players progress. Um, specifically when you kind of gathered a group like that, that is, you know, that's, I think potentially as talented as the young players in the Sabres right now. Well, and one thing I just wanted to bring up about Asplund too, that I think is most impressive is the fact that he's playing with two guys who for the majority of their young careers have been really bad in their own zone and Casey Middlestat and Victor Olofsson. Those guys yeah. are pure offensive players there. And I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I'm almost positive that their expected goals for percentage for like them all being on the ice is above 50, but you remove Asplund from the situation and they both drop, I believe 10 points or more. Yeah. It's, it is funny. That's kind of what I, I specifically, we, we have a, I won't get into it too much, but like one of our kind of the metrics we rely on probably the most for defensive uh, values, like our wrap them or regularized adjust plus minus model. And that's where he's really, just excelling, which essentially takes into account, like you mentioned, teammates and teammate impacts and how players play in combination with others and away from and with players against competition as well. And um, everything that we're seeing from Asplin has just been like kind of off the charts. I mean, literally off the charts this year, which wow. is just like, I think that's, and obviously I think defensive play is a little bit more specifically when stuff like this happens, where it kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, you know, it, it, we see this every so often and, and it, 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 it's still kind of a too small of a sample size for us to really say, you know, like this player is going to be amazing defensively next year, but all of the results. And I think he's got maybe close to 900 or a thousand minutes this year is starting to get to a, 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 like a sizable amount where we can start to maybe rely a little bit and be like, yeah, yeah. I think he's been pretty good defensively this year. And I think we could maybe expect that to at least be the case going forward. So I, it's, it's, it is interesting. I think the, that development from the Sabres where that was one of the players every year, it seems like there's a player that comes out of nowhere that I've never even really heard of, which is this player in this case. And then you kind of are following them as the year goes on and you're like, Oh, that's interesting. I'll have to keep, you know, keep an eye out for them going forward. Very cool. Yeah. This one's interesting because I think there were some Sabres fans. It's weird. Cause it's actually, I'd say analytically inclined Sabres fans were kind of down on him at first because the 2016 draft, the Sabres traded uh, Mark Pazic, who a lot of analytics fans were really high on, uh, for I'm blanking on Kulikov. Kulikov, yeah, Kulikov. who is he was bad in Buffalo, and he was only he's only under control for one year. 
Pizik was under control for like four more years, I think, before he was a UFA. And the the reason they did that is to move up five spots to get Asplund. And everyone was like, you know, you don't move up five spots in the second round. Uh, but now the Sabres have both of them. And this is Asplund's first full year up. And he's like an analytics darling more so than anything else. Yeah. Like, it's it's a really interesting thing. But I wanted to ask also about Casey Middlestack, because you mentioned, obviously, being familiar with the Minnesota hockey scene. And he was he's from Minnesota. Um, and he was a big deal as a U.S. Uh, player as well. And he, for his first couple of years after coming to the NHL, I would say he struggled a lot for a lot of reasons. Uh, and last year, at the end of the year, started to come on. And this year has been not a great year to evaluate him because he was injured basically from opening night until about a month ago. Right. Um, so do you, in the last month or so, do you think you've seen anything from him that would indicate that maybe he's a, a real, like, NHL or in the long term? I think the one thing, like, yeah, like Middlestad was a, a guy that, and again, I, I mentioned this, I, I remember there was a lot of discourse around him and his draft, you know, position and draft year. And like, there were a lot of models that were really kind of on both sides of whether or not he was good. Um, and yeah, being from Minnesota, I did. Yeah. He, I don't remember all like, I, again, I, my, my, my knowledge of pro, junior hockey is really bad, but I did watch him in the Minnesota high school tournament here. He was, I think he came back and played for, was it Eden Prairie? I think I, I, I believe I could be completely wrong, but no, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of interesting to watch him in the tournament. Cause he was like, obviously like very good in the high school tournament, which is not really saying that much, but um, I think that so far Middlestad is kind of his first year was really, really rough. And it, it really reminds me of a player who just needed more time to develop. I mean, this happens with kind of high touted rookies, like a lot where, you know, I think the most recent one that comes to mind was like Capococco's like first year with the Rangers where they clearly like, he just shouldn't have been playing in the NHL that year. Um, I'm not sure if that's the exact scenario with middle step, but he kind of reminded me of a player who probably just needed more time to develop. And 100%. he's like, obviously he's, he's, he's only played about 500 minutes or a little less than that this year. He hasn't put a ton of time, but the last like few seasons, like he kind of grades out as just like an average to slightly below average player, which is, I think for, is he 20, 21 still 22. Yeah. he's um he will be 23 this year okay. he was drafted in so, 2017 yeah and even for a player on like the very early 20s to kind of grade out in like as as average is like kind of what you want I think that one thing is just given his draft position I don't think he's probably going to turn into that kind of elite player I think that's not that's not that you know that's not that controversial or like surprising to say but even as just like a like a generally good average player that's still a valuable player on an NHL team and I don't think he's been bad necessarily he just hasn't really done anything that really stands out I'm from the kind of the metric side that's like oh this guy is like going to be great um I could see him because he's still on his early side before his peak you know he's still got a couple years more probably development I think with the Sabres adding in more pieces as well and him just kind of I think injuries are always really tough specifically when we have time to kind of really know what's going to happen with the player even prospects are even harder because you already don't have a lot of information about the player before then but um I, I think that he definitely seems like he's an NHLer. I don't know where his ceiling is it seems like it's probably lower than where maybe people thought when he was drafted but he's definitely seems like a very like a very useful like kind of average player going forward at least from what I can see and I actually have a question now about the the third line mate on this line which is Victor <laughs> Olofsson so he is a, a very interesting case because with him he is a high-end elite level shot talent. Like his shooting ability is 
off the charts. However, he had an extremely long stretch. What was it from like Halloween to probably about a month ago to Valentine's day where he did not score and his finishing ability was just gone. And now in this past month or so, he's really been able to gain that back. So I'm curious from like what your models say just about, I guess, weighing the value of a guy who maybe, you know, in this case, it's an elite level shot. And I think a shot having an elite shot is probably if on par, maybe even more valuable than having any other like singular elite trait. What is your thoughts on a guy like that being a part of the future for a team like the Sabres where they're building out this forward corpse right now? And maybe that, you know, they, they need help in other areas too, as we talked about the right side of their defense, their goaltending, but a guy who is pretty much just like a crater in his own zone, but on the offensive end offers something that is, arguably maybe the most valuable trait that a hockey player could have uh, how, how do you I guess weigh that like is, is this the kind of guy that in your mind is worth keeping around for the Sabres because he has this very specific valuable trait or do you think it's a sell while he has value and use that to either get more of a complete player or fill out like a player of uh, you know a right side defenseman or a goalie yeah, I think that uh, Olsen's an interesting, and those kind of players, I think, when you, usually like a player who has like, say, a, you know, is, is known for their shot or has like an ability, like a quality um, or adds value from shooting. What a lot of times what we in, the, I, I think, in the community might think of that more as just a player who is scoring um, at a higher pace than what we might expect based on just their shot metrics or something like expected goals. And that seems like the case for Olsen. Uh, I think that those players are really volatile and like it's really hard to um, unless you're outside of like a few of like elite players, like obviously like Austin Matthews is like odd, like he has an amazing shot. He, he scores above what we would maybe expect, but also his shot metrics and expected goal values are all kind of close to that. I mean, like he's generating at a point that you would expect that to then kind of fo- follow players who like trying to think of like a player who is a good example, like Kuznetsov is a good example of a player who, who never really generated things, but he just had a pretty good shot and was able to generate goals off that. Those kind of players though, other than the ones, if, if they're, I'll say if, if their shot metrics and their expected goals metrics and scoring chances, those things are not really matching their goal scoring, that's a much more like kind of unstable type approach for the future and is something that really doesn't, um, you know, it's it's not only is it just like we, a lot of times there's a lot of uncertainty there, but also like those kind of players are, you know, even I, I don't like want to say it necessarily like this, but we've seen players who had a shot like that. And then they maybe even had just like an injury that would have normally been fine. That could have been made up for on like, if say they recovered, then they're, they still were a good player at generating chances. And, you know, maybe their shot got, you know, was a little bit worse, but they were still able to then kind of make up for that just because they were good at generating offense. But like someone like from Minnesota, Matt Dumbo was a good example who used to be one of the best, you know, defense, like obviously different position, but who, who had a, a pretty big injury a couple of years ago and has kind of never recovered his shot since then. So it's like, even that kind of thing can lead to issues. I think that Olofsson is, um, I, he, at this point, I think we, we probably have enough information to say he's just like, I think the defensive side seems like it needs, like it, it's, it's kind of lacking. Um, and I, I honestly, it doesn't like, it's not like, I mean, he, he might have a good shot, but it, the results haven't really been anything that would be absolutely stellar to say like, you got to keep this guy. Um, I think that uh, I'm not entirely sure what his contract is. Uh, oh, he is an RF. He's an yeah, FA. Yeah. yeah. He's, he, he's a free agent this summer. And um, I think it, it depends on kind of what you're able to get. I, I think that, or like what you're able to sign him for. He's not a player that really stands out to me as anything like super special. Like you absolutely need to sign him. And I'm not sure what 
um, you know, what the Sabres might be able to get him for or like keep him around for. Um, I don't know specifically like who would maybe fill in, but I, I guess he's a little bit underwhelming for me just looking at some of his stuff. He has been a little bit, I guess. <laughs> no, fair. Yeah, definitely. So I actually wanted to ask about a non-Saber, a former Saber. So about four years ago, either four or five years ago, the Sabres and Wild made a trade. Uh, I think it was just two for two. It was Tyler Ennis and Marcus Foligno for Marco Scandella and Jason Pominville. Yeah, uh, and classic Jason Bottrell uh, fashion. Not a disaster of a trade at first, but then uh, traded Scandella for a fourth uh, and flipped that to Michael for a leak before Scandella was traded for a second in the same year. And then didn't <laughs> re-sign Pominville and instead used a draft pick to trade for Jimmy Vesey, who was significantly worse to take his position. But on the other side, so Tyler Ennis obviously has had his health issues well documented, but Felino was really a popular guy in Buffalo, even though I think there was some disappointment that he didn't live up to what was unfair expectations after he had kind of a crazy high shooting percentage his first few games up. I think people expected he was going to be a power forward that scored 30 goals a year, which isn't really him. Uh, but he did get in a lot of fights that he won, and he was extremely handsome. So people, people really liked him. <laughs> and he even played with uh, – And family lineage, too. Family lineage. His dad his was – His dad was a Sabre. A great a captain. Sabre. Yeah. Yep, he was a Sabres captain. And he uh, – you know, also he played with Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt for a little bit. He wasn't a bad player at all when he was here, uh, but he gets traded. And I haven't thought about him in a while, except when he wins a fight every couple months and, so, or, you know, something like that happens. But then I think it was last year I saw in your guys' Selkie um, picks that he was one of the five best defensive players in hockey. Um, so I was kind of surprised by that, but I guess not too surprised. So is, is that a, was that a one-year thing or is he, you consider him one of the premier defensive forwards in the NHL? He, and it's, so that whole, I don't know if you want to call it a saga, but that was a really interesting trade at the time. Cause I remember we were specifically not like, I was like, well, this is kind of whatever. I mean, Scandella was never really anything that great. Um, I think he like the, I don't know. I don't want to say I test people, but a lot of people used to think like his shot was really powerful and he was like a big, you know, like defenseman, but we were never really high on Scandella and the trade. It was interesting because Pominville is so good. I, I, I mean, this is a couple of different, I, I don't know why Pominville just like kind of stopped playing. I'm not entirely sure if there was a reason why, but he was still really good towards the end of his career. And then kind of oh, just yeah. like a lot of the league. And I don't, that never really made a lot of sense to me. And I never well, haven't he really was in Buffalo that. skating at Harbor center, like begging the Sabres to sign him. Like yeah. More year in, so, I think it was 2019. And yeah. And they just and didn't like, want him for, for yeah. And he never came, he never went to another NHL team, which really surprised I me. Mean, Pominville was one of those, like, nobody really talks about Pominville anymore, but like years ago, he was like one of those, like kind of sneaky, like all of the stats people were like, Oh, this guy's really, really good. He's rock and, solid. Yeah. Yeah. He was really good. Uh, like he just has been, he was very good throughout his career and he's very like, no, not a lot of people talk about him, but at the time, I didn't really know much about Marcus Foligno. He didn't really like, yeah, like grayed out as like somebody who was going to turn into kind of the defensive player that he, um, that he ended up being, although there were some, maybe in his, the, what was it? So it would have been the, um, his first year with the wild was 17, 18. And so like the year leading up to that, like he had like a couple, like maybe two, uh, the season before he was pretty solid and defensively, I think he was definitely like a little bit better than maybe we gave him, gave him credit for at the time. But yeah, he, he really turned into a like important defensive piece for the wild and and for several years now has been this year is i i want to say he's a little bit well the wild have kind of like um 
let's just say they've like maybe changed focus a little bit more. Like they, you know, they added Nick Delorier, they added like Middleton. They, you know, they, they have like, they have kind of a heavy team now and it seems to be, they, they get a little distracted from some of the, you know, but like Felino for years for, for the wild have, has been just like an absolute stud defensively. And he's been like most, mostly, I think he started maybe on their fourth line or he's been like third line, but he also like oddly is just like, kind of has a weird like shot too. Like he's scoring at such a high rate this year and last year too that it's like, I mean, he has one of the highest like shooting percentages in like a, for any forward the last two seasons, which is really weird. Um, he's definitely turned into like a really important piece for the wild. And it did it. I, I don't, I, I think looking back on it in hindsight, it, it kind of makes sense. You could kind of see something that was there with Buffalo, but a lot of times like at a lot of people at the time, and I think us included didn't really know what to do with those Buffalo Sabres teams from like, you know, the 14, 15 season and 15, 16 season. Like they were just so bad that it was hard to really know like, sorry uh like was it like was the team itself just kind of almost like sabotaging the players like is the actual results like are those actually something that we can maybe trust I think now in hindsight we can definitely say and with more work that Luke and I have done like we we're much more confident at the but in the time when the trade happened I was like well I don't really know like how much we can rely on these for Buffalo and now it's become clear so Felino is is like he he just yeah it's he he definitely fights like they're supposedly like they brought in a few players so that he doesn't have to, but he clearly is still fighting. And that's kind of, you know, clearly like what he wants to do. But from, I think the defensive side, he's, he, along with Eric Sinek have made the team like kind of, they've carried on that um, kind of Miko Koibu type, like approach to the wild that the wild always had. And like, it's kind of their defensive background bone at the forward position. So um, yeah, I don't really have, I, I guess I'd have to go and <clears throat> maybe do a, a bigger deep dive on Felino, which is I have something that's maybe long overdue at this point, but he's been very, very good defensively for years now with the wild, which in hindsight, he was for a couple of years, but the Buffalo was so bad back then that it's hard to really like say, you know, I think at the time we didn't, maybe Luke and I didn't really have the tools to really kind of, kind of suss out some of the kind of interactions there that we maybe do now. Yeah. I think that's it. One last thing I want to do on say on Scandella is that the Sabres, when they, they made that trade, they immediately stuck him with Ristolainen and he looked terrible for two years. Uh, and then they moved him away and let him play with Darlene, I think in the 1920 season. And they played really well together. And for basically no reason, like months before the trade deadline, that's when they flipped him for a fourth. Like, got to get rid of this guy now. We, because to be fair, they had like 10 defensemen for like no reason. Because Asset know. management. Yeah. <laughs> that classic asset management. And then finished outside the 2014 playoffs over the cap. True story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and kind of going off of that, while we're talking about wild players, you had mentioned Matt Dumba earlier, and he's somebody that Taylor and I were had talked about probably about a month or so ago. Because the report had come out that Kevin Adams was already beginning to look for Owen Powers' potential partner. And Dumba was a guy that just in doing some research, I was very intrigued by for the fact that he's one year away from UFA. Um, as you had mentioned, he had his injury a few years back and hasn't been the same guy who he was, where I, I remember a few years ago, he was talking about wanting to be like a regular 20 goal scorer for a defenseman, which now we're just seeing guys like... Roman Yossi putting up hundred points, like it's nothing and Cal McCarr being Cal McCarr, but um, Dumba was somebody that again, like you have Spurgeon there, you have Jonas Brodin. I just didn't know if Dumba was a guy, you know, with next year being his last year before he becomes an unrestricted free agent, if he is in the plans for beyond that. And so I guess I'm kind of just curious for your insight on Dumba. And if you feel as though, if he is somebody that would potentially end up getting moved or walking in free agency, how he would fit 
as a maybe a steadier presence for Owen Power on the right side in the Sabres top four? Yeah, Delma's a really interesting player that for us for years was like kind of actually like led to some debates about how we want like how our models to like kind of philosophically about how we should evaluate defensemen because he did have like in the 17, 18, 18, 19 season, like he was one of the best shooters, like I said, and um, he didn't ever really have the metrics to back it up. He just had a really, really good shot. And he was like really kind of a quality um, offensive defenseman. I think with Dumba, um, obviously the wild are really in they're Like it doesn't really get talked about right now, but like they have some really, really big problems in their cap with the pseudo Parisi buyouts. Like in really starting next year, they really only got value this year by adding kind of getting rid of it. And then the, the, the buyouts, I guess the contracts really go up and specifically next year is going to be tough, but like years three and four. So like the year after next season, I mean, they, and they have to say Fiala is a free agent this season and Dumba's going to be up. I, I don't see a, a way in which the wild are going to keep Dumba. Like he's definitely going to hit the market. I think unless they, I mean, he, the only thing would be, he's become really big part of the community in Minnesota. He has a lot of kind of uh, charitable work and a lot of like foundations that he's been working on as well and stuff with the team. That's I think very good. Um, like it's really, really great. And obviously like Dumba's a great dude, but like, I don't, I don't think that they're going to be able to, because I think a team would probably would love to sign him. And so I, I think with Dumba though, it's a little bit like, Ever since that injury, and I want to say it was a fight with Calgary. I think it was with Kachuk. It might have been with another player. I can't quite remember. Um, I think that he injured his pec, his pectoral or maybe a bicep. It was something like that in the fight. And he just hasn't had the power that he used to, which is where all of his value always came from. Still hasn't really come back. He hasn't really done anything. Um, I would say that was any that's been like again, a great guy, but like, he just hasn't really kind of returned to that form and he never really had the defensive value. They've had him with Brodine and those, those that pairing has worked for a while. Um, but a lot of that is because Brodine has like been one of the best defensive defensemen in the league, you know, for defensemen in the league for a while. And so it's, it's like that he kind of Brodine shores up a lot of the issues that maybe Dumba has defensively. I don't, I don't want to say that because I think Dumba would be great in terms of chemistry. And like, I think that it could be a different, like a situation where it would work really well. Um, I think that probably for, it'd be more for his asking price that I think was going to be a little bit higher than probably what the, maybe the Sabres might be willing to pay or should pay for him. Um, I could see him as a potential like fit there, but like, I think, you know, cause he's going to be probably, I don't know, I guess in two years he would be, um, like maybe 28, 29, that's kind of like prime UFA signing years. And I think that like probably a team would be willing to give him like a six by six or something, maybe more. I don't know if he's worth that. Um, I think especially when he's, you know, later in his late twenties. Um, now, obviously if things change next year, or if he kind of has a bit of a bounce back or is able to kind of kind of recover a little bit more from that injury and still keep adding value from his shot, um, that would be a different thing. And obviously he still has a year or two, um, but that's been one of the things here in Minnesota is like people talking about like, are they, you know, the wild maybe even considering trading Dumba this off season to make room for Fiala if they want to sign, if they want to keep Fiala, you know, that those two seem to be kind of like the, pieces that don't fit right now. And like one maybe seems like they have to go. I have a hunch that we'll um, take them both. That's okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. Like I, it's just like, I, I think it's, it's important to remember the while they're really, really screwed with their cap. Like they're going to have trouble. So it'll be uh, interesting to see what happens there. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know you say that you're not uh, like a, an actual diehard wild fan anymore since it's your full-time job, but in would you say taking the temperature in Minnesota is there a lot of regret about signing Suter and Parise uh, and I, part of the reason I ask this is because it, not like it was a golden era you guys made the second round three or four times in that time 
On the other hand, there hasn't been like a lot of super exciting things that have happened in the last 20 years with the Wild. They've always been like a competent franchise, you know, and they've never really been bottom five or top five. So is there, that seems to be the most notable thing that's really happened with them until Kaprizov showed up. Uh, so do you think that there's some regrets that they would rather, fans would rather that not have happened? I think a lot of Wild fans still think that they like they shouldn't have made those deals because it basically put them in a win now mode earlier than they maybe should have been um but I, the one thing i think is always hard and, and you as sabers fans obviously know the relationship between ownership and and organ the organization no. that's that's a whole thing that i think the wild specifically had and i think this is pretty much public knowledge i think it's very much like michael russo has reported on this is that craig leopold the owner has wanted wanted the wild to basically be making the playoffs every year and so what like it's kind of funny now to think about fletcher and fly in philly and i just i just was talking with somebody or i'm going back and forth on twitter with somebody about how a lot of people now just like assume fletcher was a whore he must have been a horrible gm in minnesota when in actuality fletcher actually was like he was the one who signed those contracts um but it was pretty clear that the, that was like mostly an ownership like kind of directive that that mm -hmm. Leopold Very wanted with this. So, yeah, Leopold wanted to get those two. Like Leopold and Ryan Suter were somewhat like they were, I think, went back to maybe some Nashville ties and they were friends. I mean, they like knew each other. So it was like this kind of connection there. And one of the things was that I I, I think that it's a little bit of that, but I I honestly at the time, like Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi were so good for the wild for so long. And it was like those contracts, yeah, they look absurd now. I mean, they like, you know, but and it was funny that they were a whole like they were the last, I think they were might have been the last two that were signed over eight years like I think that those contracts were what caused the CBA to change like I'm pretty sure that was like the last the contract that was like the last straw that like the and the basically the CBA was like updated after like okay you guys cannot you know players can't sign these kind of contracts anymore um so it led to some weird changes there um but honestly for the value like the other thing was that Zach Parisi was like, I mean, an absolute like franchise player in Minnesota for years, but especially the first years. And what those two players actually kind of did was allow the wild to really build out a team that I think it's a little bit under like the 16, the 17 wild team was like, I think one of the best teams. I mean, it might be the best team the wild I've ever had. And then they just happened to face a really, really hot Jake Allen in the first round and lose to the blues. Like that was the team that, and like they basically built up to 15, 16, 16, 17, and a little bit of 17, 18, where they had a really solid group that I think should have gone much farther in the playoffs, but that's the playoffs. So I don't personally, like, I think the amount of value that Parisian Suter added, even though their contracts were kind of ridiculous, they were, like some of the few free agents I think that signed for that long. I mean, obviously for even an eight year deal that have added as much value as like they probably were worth. So in, it's kind of a weird thing where like, yeah, I think in hindsight, um, the wild probably put them themselves in a position of being perpetually outside of like a top 10 draft pick. I think they have only had, um, I think they picked Dumbo in the top 10 and I want to say Granlin were the other, their other, maybe their top 10. And obviously uh, they've, I think Marco Rossi was maybe a ninth. I can't quite remember, but one of the things that signing Parisian Suter did was it made them a consistent like first or second round playoff team for years, but they only really had one year, maybe two years where they maybe could have been expected to go further. So it then put them in a situation where they, because of the, you know, Ryan Suter was just constantly very good. Parisi really has been pretty good even still, and you know, with the Islanders 
obviously like not what he used to be, but those pieces plus some of the other moves and making like their defensive group as good as it was um, their defensemen, it, it, it put them in a situation where they weren't good enough to ever go that far, far enough, but they weren't because their defensemen were, were so good. They weren't able to um, really tank properly. So they've only now just kind of recovered. And part of that is just because I, I, I think a lot of people want to say like, you know, Caprizov in the fifth round, like, you know, that's just all luck, really, I think like he he just really be kind of came out of nowhere from what I know, um, specifically right after he was drafted, he kind of turned into like this player. And now he's just been an absolute like star for the wild. So but it's kind of funny, because they're now in this position where they're good this year, and like they're maybe they're going to be good next year. But then like a team that has like 10 million dead cap that they can't spend under, you know, like that isn't a team that's going to be successful, really that because you just you can't compete in a league that's so right. salary, you know, up against the cap. So I don't per, I like Parisian suitor added so much value for their contract that I actually think in hindsight, it's like actually ends up being a pretty good, like totally fair free agent signing. And they also immediately put the wild in like a situation where they were kind of competing for a long time. And as a fan, I think, you know, that's kind of fun. I think for a lot of fans, like when they're in the playoffs every year, now it got kind of old when they would lose in the first round every year. And then fans started to realize, well, okay, well, this isn't any good and we can't do anything and we can't get any better. But um, I think that the, I don't think, I don't personally think that most most fans in the wilds like or most wild fans or most Minnesota, I guess, fans just in general still like specifically Parisi because he's from here that like that's kind of like one of those players that I, I think, you know, Minnesota has this history like Joe Maurer for the twins. He was a kind of a hometown kid. You know, that kind of stuff is stuff that, you know, most most kind of fans like. But um, yeah, I could ramble about the history of those for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I mean, yeah, I didn't really put that together, but yeah, with the twins as well, like a lot of first round exits, I didn't really consider that. Oh yeah. No, the, the Minnesota sports is, is kind of a, uh, the last championship that Minnesotans have is the twins in 91. Um, and we haven't, uh, and I think 87, I, I always get these confused because my, yeah, 87, 91, they won. And then the wild have made it to the second round twice i should know this i i i just it goes i just you know it's i it's repressed i don't ever think about it anymore yeah uh yeah the buffalo sports fans we feel that i know yeah they yeah i I, the wild have not um they i think they made it to the third round actually in their first or second year and they got stopped by anaheim if i remember correctly yes Mm. i remember that series because the wild only scored one goal in it and anaheim scored like seven goals like the whole series yeah, was totally with the i think it was jagar and they like they couldn't do anything and yep. that was the year that they i think that andrew burnett i think scored a game seven overtime winner against patrick Wah, i think wow. against him. i yeah. think was that yeah. was like yeah that was so, a huge like, upset yeah that's yeah, a very weird year i mean i think yeah. we've had a lot of those in hockey but like anaheim beating that detroit team that came off like the the o2 cup team minus hashik basically in 03 yeah and then the wild beating what was still the Colorado with like four hall of famers on it. Yeah. yeah. Wild. No, that was a huge upset. And then, yeah. And then the wild beating the other, the Patrick war coach team with Nino's seven, you know, game seven overtime in like 2018 mm. or 2015, I think. So those, that was kind of the, that playoff year was kind of the start of the wild being, but they had a kind of a window there for like three or four years that I think they, and they made a lot of good moves. And I mean, honestly, I could talk about like kind of debate about Fletcher in Minnesota for a long time, but he, he did hire Andrew Thomas and Alex Mandricki initially uh, who were part of the war on ice people with Sam Ventura. And I mean, they had for, they were one of the first teams to really adopt a lot of these kind of more modern thinking. I mean, they signed 
Like they, they made a lot of kind of stats, like kind of centric moves or whatever. Not all of them were kind of regarded well in Minnesota, but they were a lot of them. I could see the intention. So it's just interesting to, to think about the history of that. And now they're completely different GM. I mean, completely different organization, different players. A lot of the players that are still Fletcher, like draft picks and are still, you know, like, so it's funny. I, I just think it's late. This has come up lately because a lot of Philly fans and just people in the NHL have been talking about Fletcher. Um, I have a hunch that it's not just Fletcher in Philadelphia, but it's probably a lot of like up, you know, higher than him who are like, I, I have to assume just based on Fletcher's track record that he probably isn't the one who was really gunning for re-signing Ristolainen at a five by five point one million dollar contract. You know, I, Absolutely. I don't, I know. Yeah, Buffalo fans are probably happy about that. Just why you you get them now? <laughs> oh God, yeah. I mean, the fact that we were able to get a first, a third, and pretty much like the same player back for him and Robert Hag. Uh, I mean, it's, it's insane. It's so absurd. I don't, I could, I could ramble about Risto for, for forever. I mean, he oh, used to we be have. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. He was our, uh, um, like our, we, we joke that we, like when we're doing new models or we would work on new, like kind of updating things, we always, there's a couple of players on both ends that are, have been consistently good or bad that you kind of just double check to see if, like, is the model doing this, what you think it's going to do? Like, that's obviously like mostly just shorthand to make sure you didn't mess up anything. But like Risto used to be the player that you would check to make sure that he was really bad by the model because everything else said he was. So it was always like, he's one of those players that's just like him and Jack Johnson. It used to be Tage Thompson, although this year is going to be very, very different. Um, you know, and then on the flip side, you have like obviously McDavid and Matthews and dry subtle and those players too. So um, yeah, it'll be, uh, I, I think, um, I think honestly, Buffalo getting rid of Ristolainen might have been one of the best things that they've done so far. <laughs> yeah, could not agree more. That was a trade that everybody was just waiting and waiting and waiting to happen. I mean, it was just every year, 90% of the fans were like, get this guy the hell out of here. And there'd be that 10% of the fans who'd be like, well, we have a new coach this year. It's a system. He's 25 years old. Like, maybe he'll figure it out. Yeah, but yeah. Needless to say, when that trade happened, I think you and I were together, and just we might have been, oh, and just yeah. audibly were screaming that they actually got a first round pick for him. Like, it, just <laughs> unbelievable. Well, because I we really thought the ship had sailed because mm-hmm. way back in 2016, before it was really widespreadly known that Risto was bad, and we thought he might be our number one. There was this whole thing that he, they Taylor Hall was offered for him straight before, up before the Adam Larson straight up deal, and then which tough, tough. Good, good for Otto or uh, Edmonton though. It would be yeah. even worse. We don't know anything about Taylor Hall here either, too. Oh so, yeah, Jesus. No. So <laughs> and the other one, um, allegedly, I think it was in 2018, uh, they were offered uh, Nick Ehlers, Roslovich oh, in a pick for Risto. God, uh, I don't which, remember. That. I think I do remember that, but I had forgotten about that. That's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> it only came out like a year after. Like it was okay. Yeah, uh, it was the kind of thing that just got dropped in like 31 thoughts or 32 thoughts or something like that. Yeah, like the 28th thing. And it's like, oh, so like the fact that they even got like a third wildly Mm. unfair deal is it's really good luck. It's funny, though. It's they were three different GMs, the three trades like Murray said no to the first one. Then Bottrell said no. And then finally, Kevin Adams said, yes. hopefully that's symbolic of something. But yeah, um, I guess we'll see. God, I hope so. I mean, it's symbolic of the fact that he's not Jason Botterill. And that's all I need, because that guy is the worst GM in the history of the Buffalo Sabres, not even, <laughs> not even like, I, I really think like, if you look back and look at the moves and the lack thereof of moves, I mean, that one in and of itself, like the fact that you could have had Ehlers and Roslovich, who I know he obviously was started really hot too with Columbus and has since cooled off a bit, but 
I mean, that's a top line winger and a, and a good middle six uh, center right there that they just said no to for moving this just like pile <laughs> of shit. <laughs> um, so Josh, to, to wrap up here, I, you know, the thing that Taylor and I have been really talking about and being the drum for, especially this past stretch of, of positive games, but just looking at this team as a whole is that we agree with you that next year, I think is going to be another year where you're just hoping for them to take another step and maybe bridge the gap between what they are now and then being a playoff team. But 2023, 2024 is where Taylor and myself, and I think a lot of Sabres fans feel not even like cautiously optimistic, like legitimately optimistic because looking at the team for where it is now, yes, you still have to figure out the right side of the blue line hopefully this time next year, Devin Levi will be signed and maybe UPL takes a step next year. But you have, as we had talked about, Rasmus Stalin, Owen Power, Matias Samuelson right there, three solid pieces on the blue line. Up front, you have Alex Tuck. Jeff Skinner has returned to form and being a 30-goal scorer. Tage Thompson is now a 30-goal scorer. You're hoping, you know, Dylan Cousins and uh, Peyton Krebs take a step. Maybe Middlestat settles in a little bit more. And then on top of that, we have three first round picks this year coming up. So, you know, from, I guess, your analysis of the situation, you're looking at this team and this organization right now with where it is, the, the positives, the negatives, the deficiencies, the holes that they have to fill. Do you think that it is realistic for Sabres fans to expect that this team is a legitimate playoff contender in the 2023-2024 season? No pressure. <laughs> Well, one of the things is that the division is tough. So like it, like that's a one, like, and I don't see the division getting much easier. Now, obviously there's, there's a possibility that some of the teams are going to maybe, you know, in a couple of years, like take a step back. Um, I I think like, I guess that would be the number one thing that I would be like potentially worried about if I was Sabres fans. Like it just talked about this in our last episode that it seems like Boston will, their time will come when Bergeron retires and Washington seems like they are creeping towards falling off a bit. Yeah, so I guess that there's potential, like, there's potential spots. I think that, like, Detroit had been kind of, like, there was a lot of talk about, you know, like, like management and the change there, but they haven't really taken the step. I think they started out hot, but they've kind of fallen back down. Um, but I think with the Sabres, the one thing that I think I was looking at is they have kind of a lot of cap space with not a lot of free agents coming up, too. And that, mm-hmm. that'll be probably the, the place in which I would expect them to say – Say next year, maybe they, they probably don't expect the Sabres to really do much this offseason in terms of adding anyone like huge at the deadline. Although there are a lot of good free agents this offseason that I think specifically, you know, I, I don't even know if if like there's a goaltender. Is Kemper a UFA? I can't remember. But like, is, no, yeah. yeah. So like, I suppose, but that seems a little bit early, I think, to maybe be trying to, and especially if you have like potential prospects there, you don't maybe yep. want to give, you know, a goalie a long term contract like probably Kemper will be looking for. Um, I, I think that I could see maybe the next off season. So in 2022 or whatever, like heading into the, um, or I mean, uh, 23, like heading yeah. before that season, I think like that would be a time that you potentially, like if they have a good season next year, like maybe looking for free agency to add another kind of piece. Cause I, I think unless they have a really big um, kind of big uh, research, like improvement from maybe a few of their young players that really turn into something special. I could stay, they still to me seem like a team that needs kind of a um, like a forward to become kind of more on that, like really top end. And I, I don't, you don't really want to necessarily add talent from free agency and the, and the Sabres have done a really good job of collecting a lot of uh, first round, you know, like picks and prospects. So there's a lot of potential there. Um, I don't know if I want to say quite yet that that season will be the one that they maybe 
shoot for the playoffs, but I think they're going to be consistently getting better. And I could maybe see them starting to get, you know, maybe go on a run that season where they're maybe looking at like a wild card spot potentially. Now, obviously I think a lot of this has to do with the division and just because of how hard it is that I think that'll make it. That's like, you know, I think say if they were in the Pacific, I think that there was a, there'd be maybe a much better chance for them to be kind of fighting for a spot out there. But you know, one of the things I think that the biggest issue I think going forward will be wherever their goaltending be and like what kind of consistency can they get from a goaltender in the next year or two? Because that really is like one of the biggest things I think the Sabres are missing for like something shooting for a playoff position, just given how um, how tough it's been for their goalies the last few years and this year as well. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to watch the team develop and, you know, go forward. Very nice. Well, we very much appreciate it. And you know, to, to a couple of your points that you had made throughout our conversation, we will be on uh, Selkie watch for Rasmus Asplund next year, yes, fully absolutely. expecting him to, to be there. But no, Josh, we really, really appreciate you coming on and, and just wanted to thank you for taking the time. Um, what we always like to do whenever we have guests on, uh, if you have anything coming up, anything new dropping, anything you guys are really excited about over at Evolving Hockey, Evolving Wild that you want to share with our listeners. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. Um, yeah, you can find us on uh, Twitter, uh, both me and my brother, we share an account, we, we actually share two accounts kind of, but uh, we have the uh, at Evolving Wild at Evolving Hockey account, um, which is more of our website specific account. And then, um, yeah, we have, uh, we'll have, we have a ton of stuff in the works right now. Keep an eye out for, uh, uh, we'll be releasing our contract projections sometime in early May. Um, we were initially thinking May 1st, but I think it's going to maybe get pushed back just a little bit because of the really, really fast turnaround between the regular season and playoffs this year. Um, but then we'll have a few, a huge playoff coverage for every, every season coming up on the site. So that'll be out probably the weekend before the playoffs start, maybe on the Monday, Sunday or Monday. Um, keep an eye out for that. And then, yeah, this, this summer we're, we're just going to be working a lot to, we're going to be updating a few of our models and we'll have, but the contract projections, if you haven't checked it out, a lot of people seem to find those uh, like pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, you guys have been spot on with a lot of them too. Yeah. Like it's been crazy that you guys are like within like, like (laughs) if somebody's signing like a a $5.1 million a year deal, you guys are at like five, two or something. Like it's, it's nuts to see how spot on it is. Well, yeah. Thank, thank you. It is, it is uh, something that we put a lot of time in and also, but it's also like GMs have a very consistent way of paying players. So there's, there's a lot of signal in the data there, which is, Mm -hmm. I think adds, I don't want to, I don't want to say that it's all us finding nothing out of some, you know, out of, or something out of nothing. Cause there's a lot of signal there in terms of how GMs pay players and how, um, you know, how agents argue for, you know, signings, all this stuff. Like there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of evidence to support specific amounts, but yes, the model has been uh, very good the last few years and we're hoping it's uh, it continues to be this, you know, good this off season. So. Very cool. Well, before we cut you loose, we have uh, just to do a quick ad read, and then we want to ask you one, uh, a, ho- a non-hockey question, but I'm going to okay. turn it over to Taylor really quick to do uh, our read from DraftKings. Okay. Hockey fans, feel the action on the ice like never before with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. Right now, new customers can bet just $1 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still hit the ice for cold hard cash. New customers can make their first deposit and play free for thousands with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. Draft your lineup of eight skaters and a goalie and rack up points for goals, assists, saves, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NHL team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code THPN, the Hockey Podcast Network. At DraftKings, Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older. Restrictions apply. See our show notes for details. 
All right, Josh, we always end our episode with two things that we do. We do a recommendation, whether it's music, movie, TV show, book, anything like that. And then we do our random Sabres player of the episode where we just throw out the name of a guy who formerly was a Sabre. But with you being uh, a musician uh, and a big music fan, as we were even talking about a little bit briefly before we started recording, anything you've been listening to lately that you've been really feeling that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? That's a good question. I guess I hadn't thought about, uh, I didn't think we were going to get into music. <laughs> Sorry, I know. I should give you the heads no, up. No, 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 I, I, so some of you may have, so I guess any, if anyone's followed us on Twitter for a bit, I'm, we're, I think kind of, we are, our, I guess our, um, like our, our love of jazz, jazz music goes back a long, long time. And I've found uh, that a lot of work um, that we do, like our data work and modeling work, I find that like a lot of modern jazz is something that I really, really enjoy listening to. So um, I, for anyone who is a big fan, I don't know, you should check it out. Um, Kurt Rosenwinkel, he's a fantastic guitar player. Um, <clears throat> he put out, I guess I'll give two records that I've been listening to a lot is his, his two records, Deep Song and Next Step, or I think it's The Next Step from early 2000s. Um, they're just fantastic. I know that modern jazz isn't really everyone's, uh, um, you know, isn't, is, isn't the most covered thing. Um, but those have been two that, I mean, honestly, for a couple of years now, I've been my kind of my go-to lately, because oddly, I was never into him when I was younger, even though that's when I was really, really uh, in a lot more into kind of jazz at the time. So it's, those are, I guess those are the two that come to mind. I could, I could talk about this forever. I don't want to keep this going too long. Oh, hey. <laughs> We always appreciate telling, uh, talking to fellow music fans. So that's, that's very cool to hear. Who doesn't love some good jazz? Taylor, do you have any, uh, have you, have you finally gone to see the, the cinematic masterpiece that is Morbius? You know, again, I unfortunately saw a way better movie, which probably am not prepared to talk about everything everywhere all at once. I'm going to do that Gosh, recommendation on Sunday. I need to see that one. I'm really excited to see the pre uh, the trailers for it look unbelievable yeah so but here you go first okay one more thing to, to figure out while i'm looking at mine all right since all right well since you're gonna probably cover a movie you did music i'll do a tv show and i don't think i did this but um speaking of good marvel related things i really have been liking moon knight josh i don't know if you're into marvel at all but um moon knight is uh is a, is a new show that came out on disney plus oscar isaac who i love ethan hawk is like the main villain oh, in it i've heard it i saw yeah i've seen this okay yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. so yeah, i know what it is i know what it is yeah yeah i've been watching it there's three episodes out now and i am really really into it very much into like ancient egypt and it, it's it's just really really interesting i don't want to say too much to spoil it but oscar isaac is a really really cool character um his uh his his character too has like the the premise of it is he has like a disassociative identity identity disorder and so he's just kind of back and forth between like his, his two identities and him kind of finding out that each other even exists in the first place and then like i said there's just like egyptian gods in the mix too and it's really really cool and interesting definitely a different kind of approach for the the typical like superhero mold that we've been getting with a lot of movies and tv shows over the past handful of years so if you like Oscar Isaac, you know, maybe not as handsome. Uh, I think he's as handsome as Mark Pisfolino, actually. If not more. <laughs> oh, handsome. yeah, absolutely. They're both handsome dudes. What he's can you say? He's one of the most handsome uh, yeah. in America. He probably say. is. Although he, he's an easy top five. He's yeah. a top five most handsome dude in America for sure. Yeah, definitely. Anyways, though, so I got Moon Knight. Taylor, what do you got? I did not do a movie, actually. I oh, finished Murderville, oh! uh, which Brendan recommended about a month ago. So, uh, so here's my official rankings of the guys. Okay. I should say, first of all, Murderville, great concept. One of the best concepts I've ever seen for a show. Have you watched this, Josh, on Netflix? I, no, I haven't. So the concept is Will Arnett is a homicide detective. And this is a, it's a comedy. 
it's six episodes and every episode there's a guest who is a celebrity for example conan o'brien is the first one and that guest uh is his partner for the episode the guest though is not given a script for the show and, or and has no idea anything about it just walks in and they have to improvise the the comedy part of it but the episode is them going to different things and getting clues and at the end of the episode it always ends the same way they have to guess which one of the three suspects did the murder and sometimes they get it wrong because it's it's real like they they may not know they maybe they didn't pick up on all the clues so some of them get it some of them don't and then they kind of go over uh, the the chief in the show goes over what all the clues were and what you should have picked up on. So it's kind of it's a weird thing because it's very funny. Will Arnett's incredible in it, and you can kind of play along at home. Like I watched it the first night, just first episode, I was like, oh, this is funny. By the third episode, I was like, I know who did this. <laughs> it's kind of a, a fun thing, but uh, and it's also not just Will Arnett being a homicide detective. It's essentially like Joe Bluth being a homicide detective. Yeah, like, he is. <laughs> idiot in it and it's so good oh. um so my rankings of the guests are one conan two sharon stone mm. three kumail four marshawn five ken young and five six Andy murphy for mine but i would say although i loved conan and a bunch of these people i don't think they should ever repeat a guest no no like no no a million people out there they could do the show for 20 years and never have to repeat a guest so yeah I hope they i hope they have another season uh within you know maybe a year or so yeah that'd be great absolutely I'll have all to, right i will check both of those out yeah definitely should no murderville is it's it's so good and especially too because it's as taylor had mentioned too it's a mix where it's not like they just have actors on like marshawn lynch is one of the like the partners in it and so it's like him going through and having to like improv while everyone else is scripted and like you could tell when like even like the secondary actors are like trying not to break character and laugh because of just like the off the cuff stuff that they're doing so it's really cool uh, <laughs> yeah all right. Well, Josh, do you have a random former Sabres player of the episode? Oh, I didn't realize I was going to do. Let me think about. It. Let me. Uh, let All me right, we'll, we'll do ours first, and then we'll come back and we'll finish off okay. with you, Taylor. Taylor, All who right. do you have? Uh, I'm going to go with a Sabres and Wild legend, Matt Molson. <laughs> Matt Molson. <laughs> that's a name I haven't. I actually did just hear about. Somebody brought this up before, but yeah, oh, Matt Molson. That's a name. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna also go with the Sabres and Wild Legend, even an even deeper cut, Chris Stewart. Oh, Chris, yeah, Chris Stewart. Yeah, Chris Stewart. Wow, you are. You, I know these players. They were. Wild. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to pull up one that I've never heard of before, and then you. Oh, can, cool. Uh, let me just see. Um, hold on. Uh, I know. Uh, this the problem is I know I I have to go and dig into this. I think to find a player that I, not uh well it's one of the one of the bits we have on our podcast is that i i i don't actually i i feel like i've like because of all of the hockey names that we need to keep track of the ones that i haven't heard in a long time i just at like just go out of my head so i'll just go with uh um this one uh uh i know i okay hold on i have to find one that i don't know what what year are you on what team uh, i'm just buffalo but for the last 10 years uh oh, last 10. okay um i guess i'll just i'll just stick with one that um I'm trying. Oh, here's here's Patrick Coletta is will Patrick be Patrick Coletta. Patrick All Coletta. right. I know who that is, but Patrick Coletta is one of the players that um uh that was kind of like the it's a player that's very very not good but is very good at drawing penalties because they're just a pass which we still see mm -hmm. in the in the NHL so it's kind of a, a weird player that I kind of stands out in some of our stuff when you sort by penalty type numbers that he he's a player that really is not good but was very good at getting penalties drawn <laughs> very cool um, that, that actually makes me think because the first person 
um, that I saw write something on that is Matthew Collar. Are you familiar with him at all? Because he's in Minneapolis yeah. now, but he doesn't cover hockey anymore. I do know that name. Uh, I'm trying to remember who that is. Oh, he's awesome. Uh, so yeah. he he was from Buffalo originally. He used to work at our um, the, our local sports radio station, and he was definitely the first guy around here in sports media in general that talked about analytics at all. I mean, like we don't have a pro baseball team, so that played into yeah. it. But like no one talked about it with the Bills, really. So this is like early 2010s, and he did a lot of that stuff uh, basically on the side. Like, and he ran Hockey Prospectus as well. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep that guy but yeah he when he left here he actually got an offer to cover the vikings so he covers that <laughs> yeah. the hockey and that's why i know that name because he's a yeah. vikings reporter i'm not much yeah. of a football fan but i mean mm-hmm. i have been watching the vikings forever and they just have never won anything but like you know that's just, uh... <laughs> well and josh i'll say too since you had asked me uh before about about having a strokes cover band i have a funny pat coletta related story where he was actually at the bar at a bar that my band was playing at one night <laughs> and literally he comes up to us on the stage and is like you guys know any metallica <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's really that's a really that's really funny <laughs> yeah, in my heart when i got to look him in the face after a quick pause and be like no <laughs> no <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. This has been a, a blast getting to chat with you and we'd love to have you back on again sometime. Uh, again, make sure you are checking out Josh and Luke at Evolving Wild, at Evolving Hockey. And again, we will be waiting for Evolving Sabres to someday be birthed. <laughs> we cannot wait for it, but thank you so much. Make sure you're following those guys. Make sure you're following us straight up sabers on social media facebook twitter instagram you can find us there also whatever streaming platform you're currently listening to listening to this podcast on make sure you are either subscribed to us or following us whatever it may be leave a review if it's possible this show has been presented by the hockey podcast network and the charging buffalo and make sure you're checking out both of the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites all of our fellow shows on both of those platforms as well as on social media and last but certainly not least make sure you are using promo code thpn at checkout for DraftKings to take advantage of great deals we'll be back with a brand new episode on monday thank you all so much for tuning in this has been straight up sabers